Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. On this episode of the Food Junkies podcast, I'm excited to bring you my best friend from high school, Summer Inanen, to talk about all things body image, body neutrality, and healing from body dissatisfaction. Summer is the best-selling author of Body Image Remix, host of the podcast, Eat the Rules, and creator of You on Fire, an online group coaching program dedicated to helping people get free from body shame. Growing up and in high school, we both had body image issues, but I don't remember us talking about it or sharing any deep conversations about what we thought of ourselves. After high school, we both began an unhealthy and disordered relationship with food where we struggled with weight, diets, and societal pressures to be thin. Even at our thinnest, we still hated our bodies. Today, Summer shares her personal journey to body image recovery and healing. She shares how body image develops, how diet trauma affects us, perfectionism, why we are always comparing ourselves to others, and how we must let go of the relentless pursuit of thinness, how we need to free ourselves by rejecting the rules and reclaiming our power, How changing the way you feel about your body isn't actually about liking the way you look. We both have different stories of healing and recovery with food. While mine includes being abstinent from addictive foods, hers led her to an intuitive eating approach where she stopped trying to make over her plate and started making over what was going on inside her head. Just because we don't eat the same way doesn't mean we can't heal the same way when it comes to transforming the way we see ourselves and igniting our hope, our power, and shifting our outlook on life. So in this episode, we don't talk about the food. We talk about the thoughts and feelings about ourselves that often lead us to eat the drug foods to drown out the noise and numb out. When you liberate yourself from the belief that your worthiness is conditional on the way you look, you open up yourself to fully experiencing life. We hope this episode helps you begin your journey to freedom, to help you realize that you are not a problem to be fixed, that you are more than just your body, and that you deserve recovery from this too. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Food Junkies Podcast. My name is Dr. Vera Tarman, and I am your co-host today, along with Clarissa Kennedy. Today, we speak with Summer Inanen. Summer is a professionally trained coach who specializes in body image and rebuilding self-confidence. Her book is called Body Image Remix, and her podcast is called Eat the Rules. Summer has a passion in helping women break out of the diet culture cage and wants to help them, in her words, cultivate their inner rampant untamability so that they can wear, say, and do what they want. We at Food Junkies know how destructive body shame can be in feeding our addiction and in preventing our recovery. So we are thrilled to hear about how we can learn how to stop hating our bodies and instead reclaim our badass within. Welcome, Summer. Thank you so much for having me. 
So we're just going to jump right in. Can you share with us your personal recovery story to like, how did you get to a good place with body image? Cause you know, obviously we went to high school together. I don't really remember us talking about it or thinking about it that much, but I know it was a struggle for me back then. And then what was kind of your aha moment? Sure. So yeah, I mean, I think probably like a lot of people, I don't really remember a time where I felt, you know, comfortable in my body. And I think it was so just normalized to think like, well, you're supposed to hate your body, (laughs) you know, like, that's not just what women do, that it was one of those things that like, we as best friends didn't really talk about, but we probably commiserated over some of that stuff together, I'm sure. You know, and I remember people like bullying for body size and things like that. And I was bullied for my body and my mom was a chronic dieter. And then a lot of other media influences drove me to feel the way that I did in my body. And that led me to become a chronic dieter when it really mostly into my twenties and through to my early thirties, I was pretty intensely dieting. I was sort of always on that, you know, restrict binge repeat cycle. And it lasted for, you know, decades of my life, essentially. And I was a chronic over-exerciser. And ultimately what happened was, is I started to experience some health complications as a result of my relationship with food and exercise, which at the time I didn't think that's what was causing the health issues. I honestly just thought something was broken inside of me. And I finally found a doctor that was able to say like, Hey, like you need to eat more. You need to exercise less. This is what's causing these hormonal issues because I had the hormone levels that were the same as a postmenopausal woman at the age of like 32 or something. So that was sort of my big wake up call for me to realize that I actually had a problem because I thought that everything that I was doing was healthy. I thought I was just being, you know, the healthy one. And my identity was really wrapped up in that. And it wasn't until I had that moment where, you know, she said, okay, you need to, you know, pull back on all these things that you're doing. I was more upset that she was kind of telling me to do that than the fact that my hormones were the same as a postmenopausal woman. And that's when I was like, okay, I think I have a problem here. And I remember just, you know, connecting with kind of an acquaintance that was in the same field as me who had experienced something similar. And she was like, you know, Summer, like you should look into, like, she gave me some resources to look into essentially. And I found kind of like a couple of podcasts. It led me on this path to sort of realize like, wow, like the reason why my relationship with food and exercise is like this is because I hate my body and body image is therefore at the root of this whole thing. And if I can heal my relationship with my body, if I can, you know, feel better in my body, then I can, you know, completely step out of that cycle. And so I, you know, worked with some professionals and did a lot of inner work there to really figure out, you know, why I felt the way I did. And it really came down to the fact that my self-worth was so wrapped up in how I looked, the way I valued myself, my identity, everything was tied up in how I looked and the way that external sources were telling me how I should feel about myself, whether that was the scale or the mirror, other people's opinions. That was how I decided, you know, how I would feel about myself instead of actually you know, just being who I am and being comfortable and confident in who I am. And so, you know, obviously it wasn't like an overnight switch, but over time I was able to then really get to a point where I just felt totally comfortable and at ease in my body. And I just don't really think about it anymore. And at the time I was practicing as a nutritionist and I decided to switch gears and really then focus on helping people with the body image piece of it, because I kept seeing the same thing over and over again, like just people coming into my office, hating their bodies, being stuck on the cycle. 
And so I sort of made it my mission to really focus on helping people to, you know, break out of that cycle and really feel comfortable in whatever body they have and just be able to live their life. So how does our body image develop? Yeah. So our body image really comes from two areas, one being uh, social oppressions and one being your own lived experiences. So social oppressions being things like racism, classism, fat phobia, heterosexism, ableism. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch, (laughs) but all of those different social oppressions that exist in our society essentially make us feel either, you know, inferior or superior with the different various intersections of identities that we hold. And we learn beliefs about ourselves and our bodies based on the cultural messages that we receive related to the identities that we hold. And so as it relates to the way we feel about our body, like I think that all of those intersections come into play, but fat phobia or anti-fat bias is one of the bigger ones because it's the belief that, you know, fat is bad and thinner is better. And so that belief really creates an issue in ourselves because if we believe that, then we're constantly going to be thinking that our body isn't good enough and we need to be thinner. And then other intersections come into play. Like for example, sexism, like if we are internalizing, if we've internalized sexism, which if you identify as a woman, you have, then oftentimes we believe our value is tied up in being desirable or being lovable and belonging and all of this stuff. And so that's really what kind of creates a lot of the belief systems that we have as it relates to how we feel about our bodies. And then you layer that on top of your own lived experiences. And so, you know, when you were growing up, if you were bullied for your body, if your mom was a dieter, or, you know, if you were raised in a household where it was really focused around like achievements and perfection, and you you never felt like you were good enough, then all of those different factors are also going to come into play. And you're going to then think that there's something maybe wrong with you. And the way that we often internalize that something's wrong with us, we think our body is the problem because there's often an easy solution. Well, you just need to lose weight and then, you know, you'll feel better. But we know that that's not true because that never really heals those, you know, internal feelings of inadequacy that we've adopted from the culture that we live in. So those are probably the two biggest things that play. And then if you just look at it, like, you know, you look at beauty standards and you look at how the standard of beauty that exists in our culture and how that's changed over time. It's this like never ending goalpost that just keeps moving. And we look at that and we sort of look at ourselves in relation to that. And we think, how do I measure up? And then we're looking at that and sort of comparing ourselves and just never really feeling good enough. And so it's really important to just have that ability to like, look at the big picture and see, you know, like, what are the messages that I'm receiving about bodies? What bodies are really being displayed as superior and inferior? And how am I then like relating that back to myself? And also like you really described, and I know that many of us have had the experience of kind of slipping into an eating disorder pattern. And then the body image would also, there'd be that whole body dysmorphic piece, right? Like where even if your body is normal, because who, when they lose weight, thinks that they've lost enough? How do you deal with that? Or maybe it's too soon to ask that because we're going to ask you about it. But anyway, yeah. that's another piece, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, body dysmorphia is huge. Like, I think it's one of those things that I think a lot of that has to do with the perception of bodies. And, you know, one of the recommendations I often give people is to really, you know, expose yourself to bodies that are the same size or larger than your own. Because if you look at just our mainstream, you know, mainstream 
mainstream media, you look at advertisements on magazines and, you know, the posters that you see inside stores and commercials on TV and TV shows and, and movies and everything. I mean, the standard of beauty, like who's represented there is, you know, the majority of the time it's someone who's, you know, white, it's someone who's thin, it's someone who's young, it's someone who, you know, checks off all these boxes of society standards. And if that's what's like really feeding our brain, like if that's all that we're taking in, then we're going to have a distorted perception of our own body too. And so disrupting that by, you know, changing what we're consuming and consuming, intentionally consuming things that expose us to diversity, I think goes a long way towards healing that, that body dysmorphia piece. I'm not a therapist. So I, you know, I I feel like a therapist more equipped to like really deal with someone who's truly body dysmorphic, but I do see it a lot just in terms of like having a distorted self-perception of your body. And I certainly had that too. So with all the diet trauma that we've experienced, like how can we just let go of this relentless pursuit of thinness? Because that is a lot of, you know, the individuals I work with clinically, yeah, they're struggling with their food addiction, but it's really about the weight. They come to see me about the weight, they'll deal with the addiction piece after. But yeah, like how do we disrupt that cycle or that need to be so thin? Yeah. I think one thing is just really having compassion that it's not easy to do, like that it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And I will often say to people, you know, like, of course you're still going to want to lose weight. Like that's just an innocent response to living in a culture that upholds thinness as, you know, being so much superior and treats people in larger bodies in a, you know, in a dehumanizing way, unfortunately. And so I think that, you know, I usually will say to people, let's not like really focus on just trying to shut that desire off rather let's, you know, acknowledge that that desire exists and know that it's usually there for some reason to, you know, protect you. And let's really work on, you know, just accepting the body that we have now. And I think a lot of that really starts with trying to unlearn everything that we've been taught about bodies and this idea that there's like this hierarchy and really challenging the beliefs that we've learned as it relates to what it means to be thin, what it means to be fat. And I say that in like a, I use that word in a neutral way and not in a negative one and like really unpacking all of that stuff and then understanding, you know, like what it means to you, because usually there's some something else there for us, you know, whether that's, you know, my desire to lose weight is because I feel like I don't belong or I feel like I'm not valued or, you know, I am just trying to protect myself from judgment. Like there's a deeper need there. And I think that getting to what that is for you as an individual can be really helpful because then you can see that desire for what it is. It's like, okay, like I feel this way because I just have this, you know, I have this need to belong and maybe that need to belong comes from some experience you had when you were growing up, but then it allows you to have empathy and compassion for that part of yourself and be able to see why that exists instead of it just sort of, sort of looking at it in this vacuum of like, well, no, I just like, I know things will be better if I lose weight. Cause you know, we all sort of know that that's not necessarily true. You often feel better for like five minutes And then, you know, you still, if you haven't actually healed, you know, what's going on underneath, then you're still going to have that feeling of like, I'm, you know, I'm not good enough. You start fixating on something else. Like it's just, it's just never enough. So getting to understand like what that deeper need is, is really important in that process. Yeah. I think even when I got to like my lowest weight, I was like, when I get to that weight, 
that's when everything is going to be well and perfect in my life. And actually the only thing that was good in my life was the weight because I had to let go of everything else in my life. And so everything else was actually a disaster. And so thank you so much for speaking about that. And speaking of that, that number, that little metal dictator that we have to step on that we go to the doctor's office and they put us on what are your thoughts on the scale and i already know this because i have seen many a picture of you smashing scales and i think you even smash scales with clients is this is this a true fact summer (laughs) i do it's definitely something i suggest and give them the option to engage in if they want to because you know it's it's really this piece of metal that we're giving all of our power over to. You know, we're essentially asking this piece of metal to tell us how we should feel about ourselves, to tell us how we should be eating, how we should be moving. Like it's a complete displacement from like being embodied and in ourselves. And I think that a lot of times we have almost like an abusive relationship with it. I wrote this blog post like many years ago where I said, you know, I had an abusive relationship with my scale because this thing literally controlled me. It dehumanized me. It told me what I should eat. It told me what I should wear. It it was like, you know, you're not good enough. You need to work harder. There's something wrong with you. Like it was, it was really feeding the voice of my inner critic and it fed, you know, the voice of diet culture that was in my head. And I think that we don't even realize the power it has over us because we get those fleeting moments where it validates us. And that like overrides any of the sort of negative experiences that we're having with us. And we also have this massive fear that like, well, if I don't step on it, I'm going to be so out of control, but you're probably not in control in the first place. Like, so, you know, it's all just sort of perceived control, but I mean, we have patients that are people that, you know, three, four times a day, you know, like after a bowel movement, after they eat something, do you literally say just literally throw out the scale or do you say it's okay once in a while? Yeah. You know, so I think it depends on the person. It's really individual. I was one of those people I was literally, and I have a really small bladder and I was doing, you know, it was like in the double digits number of times a day, every time I went to the bathroom, because it was just right there. And so I literally had no internal system for just validating myself. Like it was always just like, what is this other thing saying? And so I think it really depends on the individual. Like if the notion of, you know, getting rid of it completely is like so fearful and so outside of your comfort zone, then, okay, let's put something in the practice where we try to, we start to just gradually reduce it. And one of the things I really suggest for people that, that don't want to get rid of it right away is to just do an internal check-in before you step on it. So before you step on it, just do like, just take a moment where you say, what am I feeling emotionally right now? Because I think that often what's happening is we're feeling panicked or we're feeling, you know, there's something out of, uh, that we're feeling emotionally that then we're looking to the scale to soothe it. Right. And so if we can just even bring awareness to what that need is or what that emotion is, it puts us in a much better position to then connect the dots and be like, Oh, this is why I'm using this. And that makes it easier to start to then break that addiction to it. Cause I do think that that is like, you know, I mean, and I use, and I'm using the word addiction in this case and like with quotation marks, but I do think we really get we really get hooked on it. And so I think that, you know, I really empathize with people who feel like if they're just like, Oh my God, I could never get rid of it. I get that. And so gradually starting to break that relationship with it. Cause I think what you find is that 
it never really makes you feel good. Like it might make you feel good for, you know, again, like five minutes, it gives you a sense of control. But if you're not able to internally validate yourself, you're going to be 80 years old and still in this pattern. It's never going to go away. And I think most of us probably don't want to be that way. So a lot of the individuals that I see clinically tend to fall on the eating disorder spectrum. And so they might have some body dysmorphia piece. And so this body positivity movement that is in a lot of the body image work doesn't feel attainable for them because, you know, it seems silly to like walk around. I love my legs when it's, you know, I've spent 40 years hating them. So I recently heard you talking about this body neutrality. And can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that concept and why it might be a better approach for them? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think like there's body positivity, like really started as kind of, you know, a social justice movement to try and, you know, bring about the injustices that happen against, you know, people in more marginalized bodies in an effort to try to, you know, change the systems that are really discriminating against people in marginalized bodies. Then happened with body positivity is it sort of became this like watered down movement of like, love your body. And like, just, you just need to love your cellulite. You just need to embrace it. And the problem that I see with that is that, you know, like you said, I think it just feels so unattainable. And then what happens is, is I hear people beating themselves up for not feeling that way. They're like, I know I should love my stomach or I know I shouldn't beat myself up for feeling this way. And so then they're beating themselves up for beating themselves up, right? (laughs) Which is like never a good thing. And it also, I think, keeps the focus back on our appearance, right? Like it keeps the focus back on, you know, using how we look and sort of, you know, liking how we look as the way to feel better about ourselves. And I don't think that that's really helpful either because we want to really take away that you know, like our appearance defining how we feel about ourselves as a whole. And so the phrase body neutrality, I first heard it a few years ago from Melissa Fabella, who is like a feminist sex educator. And so I don't actually know where it originated from unless it originated from her, but I I don't want to take credit for inventing that phrase because I didn't, but really it's just getting to a place where you don't really think about your body so much anymore. You know, like you might have negative thoughts about it. You might have positive thoughts about it, but they don't make or break you. They don't like, they don't determine how you feel about yourself as a whole. So you're able to, you know, like look at a picture of yourself. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but you're just like, okay, Hey, there I am. And you know, go on with your life. And I think that that's a much better place to be because like, we're all aging out of beauty standards our bodies can change. They do change. And if we're really relying on the judgment of our body, like needing to like it in order to feel better about ourselves, then we're going to be stuck in the same sort of pattern that we were in when we were really invested in, you know, the diet cycle and and chronically trying to, you know, lose weight. And so I really like, I mean, the term kind of sounds boring, but essentially it's just about, being able to, you know, see your whole self, being able to accept that, you know, there's parts of you that you like, parts of you that you don't like, parts of you that you just feel kind of neutral about. And I think we can all think about parts of ourselves that we probably feel neutral about, like mm-hmm. my skill as a parallel parker. <laughs> like, 
you know, like I'm a really good parallel parker, but like, it's just a fact. It doesn't like make or break how I feel about myself. And I think that it's kind of the same thing. Like your appearance can just be this thing about you. It doesn't have to determine how you value yourself as a person. And so that's ultimately what I want people to be able to do is to, you know, see your body as just the way you see parallel parking. I want to say that that's, it may be a boring word, but it's revolutionary because in most of the, I've never actually heard you, it explained so well, this concept of body neutrality, that just the fact that we're taking the focus, as you say, away from the body and to the the things that we're trying to achieve, that's great. Like, And that we can have a kind of non-judgmental view about our body and our attitudes. I love it. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's revolutionary. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you look at like little kids, I mean, that's, that's how they're born into this world. That's how we were born. And then, you know, then we start digesting all these messages that we receive and, and then that's where things start to change. But, you know, we're born that way. Like we have this just natural curiosity, wonder, and appreciation for ourselves and our bodies. And yet sometimes we're frustrated with it. And, you know, I have a three and a half year old, so I witness this and I see like, the relationship that he has with his body. And he's not like looking in the mirror thinking about himself. Like sometimes he wants to be in pictures and sometimes he doesn't. And it's just like, yeah, it's just that state of, of neutrality. It's pretty, it's neat to watch it from that perspective. So I also have a lot of individuals, I'm sure maybe you find this in your practice when that they can't stop comparing themselves, their bodies to other bodies or the perfect body. Like how do you work with clients around that where they just can't go throughout the day without just being so hyper-focused and hyper-vigilant on that's the body I want. That's the body I need. Yeah. So I think that comparisons are one of the last things to probably start to go away. (laughs) And I don't even think they go away completely because comparisons are really rooted in our own inadequacies. So, you know, if we feel inferior in some way, whether that relates to the way that we look or another aspect of ourselves, we're going to compare ourselves to others. And so I really try to kind of set the expectation of, okay, it's normal to compare. That doesn't mean like we have to do it or, you know, and I, it doesn't mean that it needs to, you know, again, be like something that's like always occupying your mind, but it is normal to experience that because of the way that we've been conditioned to look at ourselves and look at others. If I can also just add to that, that I mean, our our need to compare, it's it's integral to our social, we're social animals and we need to know where we fit in the pack. And your concept of body neutrality or non-judgmentalness means that it doesn't matter where I am in the pack as far as this goes. Like I'm just blown away by this concept because so then it's just like the kid. So what if the person is quote fat or thin? It's not one of the markers of making you an outcast or not. Right. Yes. Yes. We just need the culture to catch up because like (laughs) that's the problem, but, but yes, exactly. And so I think that, you know, if someone is experiencing comparisons, what I like them to do first is to just get curious about, you know, what they're believing about themselves in that moment. And even a little deeper, it's just, you know, what are you making that to mean about yourself? Or, you know, there's different ways to phrase it. I often start with like, what are you believing about yourself? Or what are you making this to mean about you? Or what are you feeling when you have that comparison? And and trying to just go inward and be present with how we're feeling. So maybe, you know, I'm just even just a recognition of like, I'm having a moment where I'm feeling, you know, inadequate even just being able to phrase it like that and have that level of awareness 
instead of, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. Oh my God, they look so much better than me. Like just going to like, how am I actually feeling? So I'm having a moment of inadequacy. And that's like, a, that's a very compassionate way to kind of meet yourself where you're at. And I think also like we make a lot of assumptions about other people based on how they look and even just calling BS on what you're assuming. So, you know, am I making an assumption? Like, what am I assuming about this person's life? And really remembering that, you know, assumptions can't be trusted. That's from that book, The Four Agreements. I can't remember the guy who wrote it, but you know, this idea that like assumptions can't be trusted. And I think that that's also just an important filter to have, like, especially in the age of social media, where you're probably seeing like maybe 1% of someone's life. But if you're seeing like that best 1%, over and over and over of multiple people's lives, like that's going to have like a really big impact on you, but trying to keep that perspective top of mind will perhaps also just, you know, give you like, make you realize like, okay, wait a minute, like no wonder I'm feeling this way. Like I'm seeing kind of like, you know, the best of all of these other people. And then when we're able to just, you know, identify like what we're really feeling in that moment, then we can be a lot more compassionate and, and sensitive to ourselves but just keeping in mind that like comparisons are the last thing to go away. I think once you reach a place where you feel neutral in your body, you probably like, I, I don't really compare my body to others anymore. I'm just kind of like, you know, good for them, not for me. Or, you know, like I look different than them and like, whatever, it just doesn't matter. But I've done a ton of work on this. So I was certainly not at that place before, but that's not, and, and I compare on other things, you know, I compare on like, you know, business related stuff. Cause it's just, there's, you know, we're, we're going to have these like, you know, wounds of <laughs> that we carry around based on experiences that we've had. And I think it's just being able to have that awareness of why we're feeling that way in the moment gives us a lot more power to be able to respond to ourselves. Can you speak a little bit about perfectionism? Like I know earlier you were talking about growing up in a household where achievement was really highly valued. And, you know, I think a lot of these characteristics are probably pretty familiar for most of our audience, you know, that the if body image is a thing for them, that achievable perfectionism and how that it can really interplay with a dangerous like chasing of the perfect body and like, how do you work with individuals around that? Yeah. So, you know, the perfect woman, I think, you know, in quotation marks is not even just about appearance anymore. It's like now your house has to look like it just came off HGTV. You have to be a health enthusiast. You have to, you know, be like a, like a sex kitten. Like you have to, like, (laughs) you have to have like this, like really great career. Like, and then if you have kids, like you have to be the perfect mother. Like, and so I think one of the first things I actually do with clients is have them map out all of their shoulds because the perfectionism manifests in the shoulds that we then put back on ourselves. So shoulds being like, I should have my house more organized. I should, I should have worked out today. I should, I should be thinner. I should call my mom more often. Like all of these ways that we sort of, you know, beat ourselves up that helps you understand like what standard of perfection you're holding yourself to. Because if you look at that and then you ask yourself the reverse of like, okay, is it even possible for me to do all of these things that I think I should do? And you see like the ridiculousness of it that helps give you the perspective to be able to break free from being in that perfectionist frame of mind. And like, as it relates to appearance, I mean, it's just, it's always changing. Like I said, it's just the perfect body. It doesn't like it exists for 
six months. And then it's, it's like, it's a different, like, it's a different version of it, like, you know? And it's why you see the Kardashians bodies like constantly like morphing and changing, like, like Mr. Potato Head dolls, you know, like there's just, <laughs> it's just, it's always changing. And so, I mean, I say this kind of, you know, with humor because I, I want people to recognize the ridiculousness of it. And that's not to say that the way that you feel is ridiculous, but this notion of perfection is, is ridiculous. And what does it do to us? It just takes away our time, our energy and our resources. And that those things could be spent on better things, whether that's just being more present in your life or having the capacity to actually do, you know, fun hobbies or things that you've wanted to do. So I don't know if that answers your entire question on perfectionism, but I, I really like to look at it as it relates to the way that we then it internalize it, which is often the voice of our shoulds and really detaching from that and, and starting to get in touch with like, do I want to do this? Do I need to do this? Like, is this aligned to my values? And then making our decisions from that place helps us detach from that, that place of, of needing to be perfect. And that, I mean, the perfectionism really comes from this belief of like, I'm not good enough. And I need to, you know, check off all these boxes in order to feel good enough. And similar to what we thought about, you know, stepping on the scale, like it never actually makes you feel good enough. So if I just am deciding like, okay, I'm going to start on this body image journey. What are some actionable steps I can take that is actually going to make a difference for me? Because, you know, I feel like I've, I've started some things before, you know, when you look your thighs, I say, okay, thighs, like you help me walk, you help me run, you help me get me where I need to be. And, and I am pretty neutral about it now. So that was a helpful tool, but what are some other actionable things that I can implement in my life to make a change in how body image works? Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing to do upfront is like an environmental detox. So to look at everything in your, yeah. And your life and look at what are the things that are making me feel negatively about my body? What are the things that are making me fixate on my body? So yeah, the scale is often one of them, or there's other things that people use, whether that's like a measuring tape or a pair of jeans from high school that they just, you know, try to fit back into all of those different things like are subtly constantly like really, you know, infiltrating our brain with this belief that like, I need to be thinner to be better. And so long as we're feeding that message in our brain, it's going to make it really hard for ourselves to feel better in our body. So yeah. So an environmental detox really involves looking at some of those things like and even mirror checking, I find to be like a sneaky substitute for the scale. That's one that a lot of people do that it's like they get rid of their scale, but then they're mirror checking. So same thing. I have people just disrupt that habit and really check in with how they're feeling. The clothes that are in your closet are another thing. Like how do you feel when you open your closet every day? If your closet is filled with like all of these clothes that no longer fit you, how does that make you feel? Like, are you feeling inferior? Are you feeling like something is wrong with my body? So maybe we can just remove those clothes. Maybe we don't have to like get rid of them yet, but we can just pack them into a box, put them under the bed and notice what kind of a difference that makes. The other thing is the media that we consume. This is really huge. So I, I alluded to this before, but really reducing anything that upholds this idea that thinner is better. Now, if you think about like a typical day that people go through, you know, they might wake up in the morning. The first thing they do is start checking their phones, scrolling through Facebook. Maybe they start seeing, you know, like before and after pictures or the, you know, just other things that again, are just like 
feeding this belief that thinner is better, then maybe you go and you watch like Bachelor in Paradise at night, and <laughs> which I totally watched, but, and you see all these people that really like meet the standard of beauty and not to say there's anything wrong with that. And like, yeah, I still watch that show because like, sometimes I just need to feed my brain with trash, but you have to just assess like your own level of tolerance to it and you know, how it's making you feel about yourself. I used to be like an avid TMZ watcher. And then I really started to be become critical of it. And I was like, God, like they objectify people's bodies so much on that show. Like I just, as much as I love celebrity gossip, like I just cannot do it. And so look at all of those things, especially social media. Cause I think that that's a big one. And then intentionally feed your brain with stuff that really starts to promote this idea that all bodies are, you know, are worthy of respect that really exposes you to diversity. That's actually the, the great thing about social media for all of its faults. The one great thing is that you can curate your feed in a way that exposes you to people in bodies that are larger than yours, that are just living your, their life. Because I think that the beliefs that we hold about bodies, like whether that's like, let's say you believe that you have to be thinner in order to be athletic. Well, go follow plus size athletes on Instagram. There are so many of them that are running ultra marathons and like lifting so much weight and like doing these amazing yoga poses and like smashing this, this belief that we have, that we have to be thinner in order to be athletic. And so you can like intentionally go out and seek the things that are going to challenge the beliefs that you have about bodies and also exposing yourself to that that imagery, it's been proven to actually make a difference in then how we feel about ourselves. And so like, I think that that's one of the biggest steps to take. It's really funny. Like when I work with people, I do a lot of sort of the deeper inner work. And then at the end, I'll be like, what really helped you the most on this journey? And they're like changing my social media feed. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I know the stuff I do is also really, really good, but it makes that much of a difference. That's my point is that it can make that much of a difference. Just to clarify, you're saying it makes that much of a difference. So these tools, and hopefully you'll tell us some more, will actually get pull somebody out of that crazy spiral of binge purging, not necessarily if they're in, in a huge food eating disorder, but that kind of behavior. Well, I think it can go a long way towards like, you know, starting to change the beliefs that are driving those behaviors. Yes. Yes. Like I, and I think that there's obviously a lot of, you know, pieces of the puzzle that need to be fit together, but this is certainly like one you know, important piece of it, I would say. Yeah. And I think that really being mindful of how we speak to ourselves is another really huge thing. So, you know, I don't know how much you've spoken about like the voice of your inner critic or, but that I'm a really, I do a lot of work with people around that. So just even just recognizing the negative thoughts that you have about yourself or your body and trying to start to just separate them from your own voice and recognize that those are not your own words. Those are things that you've learned and starting to learn how to be more compassionate with yourself. I mean, like that's like a whole book. I mean, there is a book called self-compassion by Dr. Kristen Neff, which I always recommend to people. So that's a good place to start if you're looking for tools on self-compassion. Cause I do think that that's like a fundamental piece of it as well. And the other thing that I haven't talked about that I think is probably important is just knowing that a lot of times body shame is a coping mechanism. So a lot of times when we're experiencing other emotional discomfort in our life, whether that be, you know, loneliness or grief, or we feel out of control, which really happened at the start of the pandemic, we deflect that onto our body. And so I notice a really big correlation between when people have bad body image days, 
they are usually experiencing something else in their life, whether that be, you know, like stress at work or anxiety about something, or, you know, they're just really burned out or whatever it may be. And we deflect that onto our body because it becomes something that we think we can fix. Like there's like an actual solution. We're like, well, I just need to lose weight and then I'll feel better. So I also encourage people to like, start to just be really mindful when you're having a bad body day what emotions are you experiencing? What else is going on in your life? Because a lot of times, the majority of time, it's not actually about our body. It's about these other things that we're experiencing. You know, that reminds me of that. It could be used as a form of self-harm. Like some people will actually cut themselves. This is a way of doing that figuratively, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, well, I think it's like, yeah, it's like a coping mechanism because dieting becomes then like this, the answer, like it becomes this sense of hope. It's like, gives you a sense of control. And so being able to connect those dots can be really helpful. Like just as an example, I really haven't felt much negativity about my body in a long time. But then after my dad died, I started to kind of fixate on it again. And it it was unconscious. I just didn't even realize it. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing this because I've experienced this like really traumatic emotional event. And the emotions are so intense that like my old go-to coping mechanism was to then bring it back to my body. So it's a hard connection for people to make, but once you make that connection, it becomes so much easier to step away, like create that separation be like, okay, no, my body is not the issue here. I'm feeling these really intense emotions and this is what I need to be, you know, present with and processing versus thinking that fixing my body is going to just make me feel better. Wow. That's fascinating. If I am someone like there's a ton of body image coaches out there. So how do I find the right person that is going to be a good fit for me? Is there like questions I should ask? What's like a red flag? Is there certifications? Give us you know, it's funny you say that I'm actually launching a certification program. So <laughs> there will be that. Of course you are. <laughs> but no, I think that, you know, like coaching is not a regulated industry, but I think even in a regulated industry, there's people that are not necessarily great practitioners, some that probably that do more harm than good. And so I think that, you know, you have to look at like, what are the qualifications? You know, like I've, I'm a life coach. So like, that's my background. That's, those are the techniques that I use. That's the framework I use. So I think it's important to understand, you know, like what's your training, what framework do you use? Some red flags would be maybe like before and after pictures on the website. Cause it probably means they're not like completely grasping, you know, this idea that like all bodies are worthy of respect, you know? And so that would be something that would be, you know, a red flag for me. Unfortunately, like a lot, anyone can just call themselves a coach. And so I would probably look for someone that actually has like coaching training because they're going to have more skills to be able to deal with what's really needs to be worked on when you, when you're dealing with something that is like, so, you know, vulnerable and sensitive as someone's body image and someone who's going to like refer you out if it's outside their scope, someone who's comfortable with that, someone who's not saying they can like do everything for you. Cause I think that's a red flag too. Like a practitioner that has pretty firm boundaries on what they can and can't help you with, I think is a good sign. And most people will do, you know, like a little phone call with you that you can ask questions and just sort of understand, you know, their vibe and how much experience they have and things like that. And not to say that like number of years of experience correlates to someone's 
you know, ability. But I think that through that conversation, you'll be able to decide, you know, how qualified they are and, and whether they are qualified to work with you as, as an individual. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Like you have a book, you have a podcast, like if our listeners want to connect with you, how do you work with clients? Just kind of give us a little insider info on that. Yeah. So my podcast is called Eat the Rules and I work with people mostly through my group program, You on Fire. And I also teach other practitioners, other uh, professionals, how to help clients with body image. And so I have kind of like two routes. Like one, I help just like the normal people (laughs) through my You on Fire group program. And then I also help other, whether they're like coaches or therapists or registered dietitians, like incorporate body image coaching into their practice, because I feel like that's such a big gap. And it's a huge thing that comes up when people are working with clients. And so to be able to know how to respond and how to help them is really, really is a much needed thing in my mind, if we really want to change the culture. So my website is the body image coach com, or you can go to summerinandin.com if you know how to spell it, but the body image coach.com will take you to my website. And I have a free 10 day body confidence makeover there, which is, gives you a PDF with 10 steps to feel better in your body. And, and a lot of the perspectives that we've discussed today. What's in your book, body image remix and who, who, what would we hear in the eat the rules podcast, which by the way, are great titles. <laughs> so, well, body image remix is a book I wrote like seven years ago. It's kind of like part, you know, story storytelling memoir part, like high level stuff around this. I mean, it's one of those things because I wrote it so many years ago. I'm like, I don't always recommend it to people, but it's like, you know, I think it still holds up. And, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty short read. It kind of get it touches on a lot of the stuff we talked about today, as well as like just weaves in my own, my own stories with it. And the podcast Eat the Rules is really about anti-dieting. It takes and body image and confidence. And it has like a, it takes a very like social justice oriented angle to it. I have a series of episodes that are solo episodes called the body image series, which specifically is just me doing solo episodes around body image. And then I also interview guest experts once in a while on different topics as well. So we have a signature question and I have changed it to be appropriate for you today. So if you could tell a younger version of yourself, something about body image, what would it be? Oh, this is so hard. I'm not very good at ever just like, you know, being succinct. And I'll probably think of something like three days from now and be like, well, I should have said that. (laughs) But I think just, you know, I think really, you know, the message that I probably needed to hear most was that you're just fine. Like your body is, does amazing things for you. And that's what you need to be focusing on. And the value that you offer and what people love you for really has nothing to do with how you look. It's really about just you being you and your weird self. And that's, that's why people love you. Summer, I just got to say as a summary that that message, we struggle so much in our work with getting people to focus away from the weight and the scale and onto the issues, which in our case is about the obsession to eat and stuff. They don't care about that as much. They care about the weight. And I love that. I I just got to say that again, that the idea that 
forget the false stuff about body positivity. People aren't listening to that. But the idea that it doesn't matter. Let's be neutral. I love that. That's a super message that I got from today. <laughs> thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad it resonated with you. Well, thank you so much for being here, Summer. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group, I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.